Today's passage comes from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 and 19, as well as Ephesians chapter 4, verses 28. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. In verse 19. And shall not steal. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, Revive, we are now in um, commandment number eight out of ten. You shall not steal. Last two weeks we had um, two big, um, heavy messages on the subject of adultery, which really led us into a theology of sex and understanding covenant, big theology, um, some hard things to think about. And today, uh, hopefully it's a little bit easier. But one of the points I want to make before we get into this thing is maybe you're starting to piece something together, and I hope you aren't, but let me make it explicit. One, I've, I told you earlier on that all the commandments are really ultimately about God. And I mean, let me kind of add to that point here. Um, commandment number six, you shall not murder, was not simply, you know, like, I don't murder anybody, so I guess I'm good in that commandment. If you think that way, you're just a pure legalist. You're not understanding the deep importance of that, of this, of this commandment. All of these ten commandments are an entryway, not simply into a mere rule, but into the wisdom and the character and, the, and, and, and then the nature of God himself. So, Something, each of these, each of these uh, you know, it seems like a really simple commandment, do not murder, but really it's talking that the deeper issue is not simply just, if I don't murder, I'm okay, right? Then you think like a legalist, but really there's, there's often on the do nots, there's also a corresponding vision of how life is supposed to be. So that God is a life giver. And we talked in that message about forgiveness and how do not Murder is often is about hatred, is about bitterness, resentment, holding grudges, anger, instead of moving toward reconciliation, love, healing, and, um, and a deep wholeness of relationships. Um, last week, we talked about um, adultery. And of course, there's so many different ways that our culture, I, 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 used, uh, I used that kind of like all-purpose general word for sexual depravity, which the Bible uses, which is porneia. And our culture is filled with, you know, it's not even just pornography, which is pornea, but all kinds of sexual brokenness. And, um, but really, there's more to it that it's really about how God wants to unite himself to his people and a profound union which is seen in covenant. And that is really, really what sex is a pointer to. And so that do not commit adultery is really about something even more than that, it's, it's about it's a celebration of marital union. It's a celebration of the holiness and the wonder and the blessing of the marital bed, which ultimately points to God, not even just about marriages, okay? Today, we're going to talk about um, what does it mean not to steal, and the corresponding portion is that we are to be contented contributors. That's, that's the way I would like to put it. Contented, generous contributors. Why? Because it's merely a good thing to do? No, that would be, there's a rule, be a good person. There you're thinking like a religious person, really like a Pharisee, or like a legalist. No, because God made us to be like him. Because God himself, in his joy and in his glory, he himself is a giver. He's a contributor. He's always contributing and building up people's lives with blessing and with riches. And so stealing is the exact opposite of his character and of his nature. So let me put it this way. If you, if you are a murderer or if you're an adulterer and today, or if you are a robber, you're not just doing something bad against somebody else, some other person. First and foremost, you are sinning against God, his very person, his very nature, his very heart. First and foremost, it's a violation against God. And then since we were made in, with infinite worth in his image, we were made to be in God's image. If you've do these sins, first you sin against God, and then you sin against yourself. If you are a thief, you're not just going, oh, I'm getting something from somebody else. Too bad for them. 
I'm going to get this, this money or this advantage or whatever it is that, that you robbed and stole for. Instead, you should understand that it is a violation against God himself and then against yourself because you are made in the image of God. You're doing yourself a serious harm and a serious piece of foolhardiness. That's what sin is. So that's the introduction. Let's get into it today. Part one, stealing and being sinful takers. Stealing and being sinful takers. Part two, generous, joyful contributing. So it's not too difficult, no seriously difficult theology today, but you're going to see that what we're talking about has a lot of different permutations. And I want to get into some of the nuances of this commandment. So part two, generous, joyful, contributing. And I want to close by how the gospel heals us by talking about this contentedly trusting in riches through Jesus Christ. Contentedly trusting in riches through Christ. So let's get into this at the beginning here. Um, Most of you are thinking like, I hope most of you are thinking this, that you're not a person who regularly goes around ripping other people off or stealing. And um, maybe in some of you, you've never stolen anything in your life. Um, and for some of you, everybody, nobody thinks you've stolen anything in your life, but you know that's not true. I mean, um, so I'll give you a, a, an embarrassing little um, confession here. Um, when I was about six or seven years old, I was a pretty good little thief. Um, I remember one Sunday afternoon when my parents were in, in, in choir at church, I went down to the local little um, convenience store, and uh, when the lady, you know, the lady who was at the counter turned her head, I would grab some candy. I was, I was pretty good at that when I was age six or seven. And then, and then one lady, well, I, I remember she was this really smart little Chinese, this short Chinese lady. She caught me, and she said, you do this again, I'll kill you. Get out of here. <laughs> and, then, and then I ran out of there totally afraid, right? And, uh, you know, so there you go. Your, your, your pastor was a little thief as, as a kid. Um, so that's obviously not, you know, the most fun thing to admit. And so when I think of these, uh, this commandment, I, I think of some of those days, but, you know, there's a lot more other ways to steal than to just take someone's money or to take someone's stuff. You know that? So let me just give some examples. Um, And I hope you're not guilty of some of these things, but maybe you are. And you might want to think twice before you think, I'm not a thief. I guess this doesn't really apply to me. Maybe it does. So let me give you some examples. First, how how about a really common one? How about cheating on your taxes? Um, the stats are really quite astonishing. Um, there's, there's pretty good studies that a very large percentage of Americans cheat on their taxes. And apparently, America, we're pretty good. Uh, apparently, in America, we are compliant at paying our taxes much more than many of the other modern um, advanced countries, you know, economically advanced countries. But um, a huge percentage are tax cheats. That's a form of stealing. How about another one? Um, How about if you are in a contract or a business deal with someone, you know this is not just a deal where you get an advantage, you know you're totally ripping the other person off. That the other person is blindly, foolishly, because they just have a blind spot or a lack of knowledge, you know you're really screwing that other person over unnecessarily. Um, That you could just get some advantage in this deal but you know you're really screwing them over for far more than, than maybe a good deal ought to be. I would say that's a form of theft, right? Um, internet fraud. I don't know if you go and do that, but that's utterly rampant in our society. Huh, um, stealing other people's identity, which is also part of that. I'll give another one. Um, something that's just maybe you yourself, I hope you're not, but this is completely rampant in our society, which is lawsuits which have nothing to do with justice. Someone did you wrong, and now we have to try to fix that wrong. Instead, it has everything to do with, I think they have some money, let's get some of it. Or, I don't know if you know this, but insurance, insurance is a really important thing in the modern world. It reduces risk in all kinds of different realms. And so, whoever invented insurance many, many years ago did the whole world uh, actually a tremendous favor. But do you know now that um, because... So you are insured for X hundred thousand dollars for a such and such kind of liability. 
Do you know now there's all kinds of lawyers around here. They now see you as a target. And they see you or your company as a target to get money out of you through what is essentially an unjust lawsuit. I would say that is a very sophisticated form of theft. And you know, it's utterly rampant. It's incredibly rampant. And you know, so there are good and important lawsuits. And I'm not against some, some large corporation really getting a very, very serious penalty through something like a class action lawsuit. But a lot of these things are really guys, we call them lawyers, and I don't mean to be against all lawyers, <laughs> because lawyers do something tremendously important. They are the defenders of justice, or at least that's what they're supposed to be, but there's a bunch of them. Quite frankly, they're, they're very, very sophisticated thieves, right? Um, how about shoplifting? How about shoplifting? Do some of you do that? You go into a store? It's harder to do now, which I actually think is quite good. Um, it's quite good. But um, let's just think about this for a moment. You think you're just stealing from that store owner. If it's a small business owner, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty, it's not a small loss. And you think, well, it's a major corporation. I got good at stealing from, you know, you named the department store. Maybe it's Target or maybe it's Macy's or maybe it's someone more expensive. They can afford the loss. But do you know that over time as you do this, do you know who pays for that? All the other customers who come into that store, they will pay for your theft. It isn't just a violation against the store. It is a violation against the community and everybody else who likes those kinds of products because the price will go up. All these kinds of things, it, it begins to corrupt and corrode the society as stealing and robbing and fraud become common. Let me give you an example. When I was um, in college, when I was in college, uh, you know, I remember being a freshman in college, and my college had students from all around the country. And um, I remember talking to one of my friends who was from like Nebraska or something like this in, in, in the Midwest. And we got to talking. And somehow um, I mentioned at our house, you know, we got to lock the doors. And then he, he said, pretty matter-of-factly, nobody in our neighborhood locks the doors. And I, I remember going, what? <laughs> what? I was like, is that true? He said, yeah, totally. I, and I, I thought maybe he was making that up. I turned to another friend who was from some other place, in the, like Minnesota. He goes, yeah, nobody in our neighborhood does that either. Like, I said, like nothing? Nope. Your garage, your front door, your back door. He goes, not even my car. You can just leave stuff in your car and nobody will steal it. It's just completely normal to live that way. And this is in the late, you know, this is uh, the late 80s. And I remember being completely dumbfounded because I grew up here in the Bay Area. And if you did that, that's completely crazy. You, um, you, who would do that? But just imagine what it's like to live in a society where the social trust and cohesion is so much better that it, you're not just constantly surrounded by theft and robbery. How nice that would be. I want to make a, a, a different point. Stealing is not simply about money or material goods. It isn't just about stuff. So, um, let me give you an example. Somebody, if you steal or rip off somebody, um, let's say in a business deal or a piece of fraud or like, you know, it's grace. So you're like, hey, he was dumb. You know, caveat emptor. That's the old Latin phrase for buyer beware. We had a deal and, uh, you know, that was a deal and, he should have been smarter, and I you know, won thousands of dollars more in that deal than he did. But what if that person, in order to, because you broke them in this deal, they had to dip into an important piece of their savings um, for college for their children? You didn't just rip them off in a deal. You literally stole away something from the future of their children. How about this? Um, you go into somebody's... Uh, house, you know, or you're over at somebody's house, you like a little piece of jewelry, you slip that in your pocket. I hope you would never do that, but never know, right? Or, or I've heard stories like this. Someone's house gets broken into. Of course, they walk in and see, you know, this is a horrible thing. This has actually happened to people in our church. And they see things have been rummaging around. And then as they begin to piece together what was lost, they find out not only, you know, Important pieces of money were lost, you know, things that might have been saved for very important things. Some people might have been saving to donate to a ministry. 
and then thus certain poor people in our community don't get served. They might have been saving for an important trip to gift to their parents at a special anniversary. So you're stealing away those things. But how about this? A piece of jewelry is stolen. What if it's an engagement ring or some kind of a gift for a wedding anniversary? And so, you know, the next few years or maybe the next several years, whenever the wife looks at her hand, she, gets a new, she has to get a new wedding ring. Every time she looks at her hand, it's a point of pain. Because the theft wasn't just about the ring or the money or the gold. Really what was stolen was a piece of their life. There's a violation into their love, into their memories. And you left them with this very painful wound that year in and year out, every anniversary or every time they look at their finger, their special, that ring that was given at that very, very important and beautiful occasion is now gone. I had an old friend um, many years ago when I was in graduate school, this guy was in my small group and we used to meet in his apartment and um, his apartment got broken into and um, a number of things were stolen. Now they didn't keep a look, they, they, they had done well for themselves, but they're not the kind of people that keep a lot of expensive things. So they did not lose a lot in the way of monetary goods. But one of the things that was stolen was his laptop. And you know what? really hurt him was because on his laptop, he had something like seven or eight years of his own personal journal. And they talked about, he would write in when he met, first met his, he had, he had his thoughts and special memories of when he first held his girlfriend, who later on became his wife's hand. He had special memories because he had wandered away from the Lord. And then only in the recent years, God started calling him back and he had written in his journal about the, that time when God was moving in his life. And he, we actually, in the small group time, prayed that somehow a miracle can happen and that um, we can meet the person or somehow the, uh, this word can get out there that um, he even said, you know what, you could just keep the laptop, but could I please, please, please have my hard drive back so I can get all those years of my journal back. This is part of theft, right? Let me, let me make another point. And I want to make one more point about this before getting to part two. I mean, I hope this isn't too tiresome for you, but this one I think is important. And you don't have to be a, a thief to begin to see maybe that you and I, many of us, almost everybody is guilty of this part. I think there's something else going on here too, which is the issue, are you a taker? In your life, are you primarily a consumer or are you a contributor? That's a question I want to ask you. And let me ask it to you in a, in a rather pointed way. And it's, it's something that um, I, I'm particularly familiar with, which is church. Um, do you know that leading church today is harder than it was 20 years ago? It's a lot harder than, it's not a little bit harder. It's a lot harder than it was 20 years ago. Not only simply because the culture has moved away and doesn't um, value church God, Jesus, and the Bible, but because even the people who are Christians, many of them have now taken on this attitude that life is about what I get out of it. In fact, sometimes that's exactly what people think when they go to church, I didn't get much out of it. That's what they even say. I went to service today, sermon wasn't all that, didn't get much out of it. Oh, the worship wasn't all that, the songs didn't get much out of it. You know, you, you meet people and they don't seem very interesting to you, so didn't get much out of it. The very attitude towards something like church is not what you put into it, what you give into it, what you give to God, so, but it's actually what you take. What do you get out of it? And this may seem like a subtle point, but um, let me tell you, it's a form of theft. So let me just give you something that I just see, and I'm not trying to get at any of you, please. You know, I, I love you on my church. I really do. So I'm not trying to be mean. And I don't, I promise you, I don't have any of you in my mind when I say this, okay? All right? But let's say if, if you decide, songs don't do much for me. I don't get much out of it. So you regularly show up to church, you know, in the third song of the praise set or even afterwards, do you know that you're stealing? You're stealing from others. 
there's people who show up. They want to contribute their gifts. They're here to bless you. They're here to exalt the Lord. And they want us together as God's family. That's God's will. That's the way it should be, that we would all be contributors. And so, you know, all these people that work hard to contribute, and then you're not there to receive, or you take for granted, or you don't even just care. It is a form of theft from their contribution. And over time, what starts to happen is in every organization that's built on some form of contribution, and the church is just a particularly good example, everybody who contributes, you know, it's not long, over time, that they find that everybody else is a taker, and so it's incredibly thankless. So it's like you have to be an extra holy human being to volunteer to, at PTA. You have to be an extra holy human being to, be, to show up and help prepare for a little league game. And of course, you have to be extra holy and righteous to keep doing it because it is a pain because everybody else is a taker. You know what this is? It's theft. It's stealing from the joy. It's stealing from the goodness of the community. And so you want to know this, this whole vision of taker, taker, consumer, consumer, you know, this is why, that's, this is why communities are so bad in America because we're all takers and thieves. And we think, we also begin to think that if I give, then I will burn out because it's always terrible to give and contribute to thankless takers and thieves. It's horrible. And so the joy and the goodness and the beauty of giving is robbed of so many different people. This is a different way. We're thankless thieves. And church is just a particularly good example of this. But I, like I mentioned to you, in all kinds of different communities, and let me say something else too. This is why our country is horrible. <laughs> this is why our politics are awful. You know what politics is about? It's not about giving and contributing for the common good and the common building up and blessedness of our neighbor, regardless of whatever political vision or ideology that they may have. It is really always about taking Power for me, more for our side, getting our way against their way. This is the spirit. And, and I'm telling you, there, there's no party in America that's not guilty of this. It's all stealing from the country, stealing from our neighbors. It's awful, right? So brothers and sisters, I want you to think quite seriously about this question. Taking, consuming, or is there, because we all need to receive. For sure, we all need, we have lack. And we all need different people to put us into blessedness. But your life is not only going to be full if you are always trying to get and receive and take and fill yourself up. Actually, the deeper pathway to a deeper joy and a fuller life is to contribute and to give. All right? And so let's get to that. Let's go to part two. Generous, joyful, contributing. Um, let me take you to this verse. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's get this. Um, let me see if we can project this up here. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20, verse 28. Here's a nice explicit place. In, in a number of the, um, the New Testament epistles, which there's, there's some explication of the gospel, and in the latter portion, there is application of how to live in the gospel. Not how to live in the law, not how to live according to rules and legalism, but how to live in God, for God, to abide in what has been given to us by grace, the beauty and the glory and the wonder of the gospel through Jesus. And so here, here let, me, let me read this. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. He should do some piece of work, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You know, this isn't just about helping someone who's poor. You know, you could be rich and you show up. Let's just use an example. I, 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 mentioned, um, I mentioned Little League. One of the things I found out about Little League when my, when my son was in Little League, I was like, this is really interesting. Little League is like church. Except the central glory isn't the grace of God. It's the game itself. And for these young boys to get to enjoy the beauty and glory of the game, you know, some people, somebody has to show up and um, 
you know, has to rake, has to rake the, you know, the, the rake, rake the, the dirt. They, somebody has to show up and, um, and, and then, and then uh, bring some of the equipment. And oftentimes in a little league game, you know, the, the boys are going to get thirsty, especially on a hot day. So somebody has to bring the drinks. <laughs> and, um, and it would be really, really nice if somebody grilled some hamburgers and hot dogs so that when parents and family and friends can come, they'd have something to eat, they can contribute some money, and that money would contribute to the whole agenda. You know, somebody has to do that. All those things are different points of need. And if the community doesn't get together to do this, the boys don't get their games. You don't get a glorious Saturday afternoon on a beautiful lawn where like, you know, 11-year-old boys and 12-year-old boys play this really great game. That's, that just doesn't happen. So today, I really want you to start thinking today about what does repentance from stealing? Now, if you are a thief and you've ripped other people off, I want you to think about this in what can you do to make up for that? To put that away. If it happened many, many years ago, then maybe you can start thinking about who you ripped off and what they're like, and maybe you can bless somebody who's similar to them. It's a, form of, it's a form of repentance. But another way of looking about repentance is how can we push back against being takers and getters? Always like, what's mine? What am I going to get out of it? Always looking for, you know, this. I, I, I've said this before. If you're in our church, you've heard me quote Martin Luther's vision of sin, which is that our soul is curved in on itself. It's always preoccupied with me. And you know what? This is a really good place. Me, take, get. Me, take, get. Whatever I get. And I want to give you a couple of ways, a um, couple of applications to help you think about, you know, a, an important lifelong repentance, a really practical form of obedience to this commandment. And the first one I want to get you may seem a little bit, um, um, you know, a uh, little bit uh, paradoxical because the first thing I want to tell you is less something to, to like give out, but something to be aware of. And I want to say this. The first thing I want to talk about is we live here in Silicon Valley, and I want to say that I don't think there is a soul who lives here in Silicon Valley, or very, very few, who isn't greedy. <laughs> that this is an incredibly acquisitive area. It's an incredibly expensive area. And in order to get what some people consider the middle class for things in life, we always think we have to get more, 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 more money. And then, of course, after we get those things, then we got to get a nicer version of those things. The first thing I want to talk about is please be very, very suspicious and have a fight inside of your heart against discontent. And the way that discontent manifests itself is through greed and covetousness. Because this is a big, this is the heart of where we have this lack of con contributing toward other people. There's this big void inside of us. And then I feel empty inside. If I can just get something, a car like that person, then I'll be happier, right? If I can get a, a boyfriend like hers, because that's another form of theft, trying to steal away somebody's man or woman. If I can just get a job like his, you know, and you slip before your boss this kind of half-truth to you know, let the, the competitor in your work group know that maybe they're not quite as good as their boss thinks so that you could unfairly get a leg up and steal the promotion. There's all these various different ways. And so much of it has to do with a discontent, get more, acquire more, and it's a form of greed. Um, years ago, I remember listening to Tim Keller. I can't remember if it was a sermon or if it was a, a, some kind of a, um, a conference talk. And he said something that's really stuck in my mind. I mean, he said a lot of things that stuck in my mind, but this one is really appropriate today. He said that he'd been a pastor for many years, serving in New York City, and um, lots of people have confessed lots of different sin weaknesses to him. He says people have said, I'm prideful, I'm hateful, even that, you know, like I, I'm lustful and I have a porn addiction. He says like all, he goes, people have confessed all kinds of things to him as a pastor. He goes, but he can't remember even one time when somebody said they confessed that they were greedy. And he said, but it's New York. And uh, 
And I remember thinking like, wow, that's crazy. New York City is like greed central in America. It's one of the greediest places on the planet. Indeed, you have all kinds of people who literally move to that city because they want to get all and more and more and more. They want to make more money, get more stuff, the best of the best of the best. And New York City does have lots of great, um, they, they have some of the finest restaurants and the greatest orchestras and all this other stuff. And yet, what is life about? It's about getting more, more money, getting more stuff. Well, let me tell you something. Brothers and sisters, you know Silicon Valley, the city that we're living in? This is Manhattan West. And as I look around, and I, I, that, thing, that thing that Tim Keller said about New York, it really sticks to me. And when I look around our city, it's a greedy place. And the people that are greedy are not only the people that are rich, it's the people that want to be rich. And it makes us, it always seems very, very reasonable to us that I don't have a lot because I'm not middle class. And we're always comparing ourselves to somebody else in this city. And guess what? In this city, always somebody has more than you. You could be a millionaire and then you're going to meet somebody who has, who's worth $5 million. You can be worth $100 million and you'll be worth a billion dollars. You can meet a person who's worth a billion dollars and they're worth $10 billion. And you know what that is? At what place will this infinite emptiness will be filled up? And I want to point this out to you. If what's going to make you happier is to get and take and fill up yourself, you are truly in a fool's errand. You are truly in a fool's errand. You are walking a life where you're never going to be happy. You know, it's really hard in this, in this city if you're genuinely poor. If a person is genuinely poor, and by genuinely poor, I mean they don't have a roof to live on. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. They could get, um, they, their clothes are completely ratty and worn out, and they don't know if they have enough clothes to keep themselves warm over the next winter. That's genuinely poor. And if you don't fit into that, then you know what? You, are, you have more. <laughs> and God has blessed you. And especially in the city, you just have all kinds of different layers of this stuff. And we always think that I got to get more to fill ourselves up. But if you're going to be always thinking that more is going to fill you up, you'll never be happy in this life. So this commandment, do not steal, do not be a taker, but be a contributor. I'm saying this to you, not simply because it's a rule. It's a rule and it's good for you. It's a rule, it's good for your neighbor. That's not what I'm saying to you. I'm saying to you because inside is a profound wisdom that God loves you. And the reason God isn't going to let you win the lottery or isn't thinking that you just need tons and tons of money is because he just knows if you have a million dollars or a billion dollars, he cannot fill up the deep, empty void, the infinite, empty void and longings of your heart if this is the way you're going to seek joy one of the important secrets of life is to learn contentment. Not taking greed, but learning contentment. So, so here's the two flip sides. Number one, please be suspicious of your greedy heart and ask yourself, do I really need to get something more? I have a car. It works pretty nice. Do I have to junk it and get something nicer? Because, you know, because I can. That's going to be my goal. Is that really, really, really necessary? I want to ask you that question. Have some suspiciousness toward your greed. But the flip side of that is learn contentment. Learn contentment. Um, maybe, you know, you would have changed this dress, but you could just wear it for one more season. Um, you know, you don't need to buy a new shirt. You need to acquire something more. You're going to get more money, get more money. Maybe um, instead of spending X thousands of dollars on your vacation, maybe you could spend less and focus more on the relationships. So learn contentment. Now let me offer you a second application. The second application is give. Give and contribute. This is verse says, Use your hands, use your talents, and find ways to give to people who don't have something. It could be giving to somebody who doesn't have baseball. <laughs> Blessing your neighbors who, you know, like, they, 
I've grilled, I've spent Saturday afternoons grilling hot dogs for my neighbors during Little League. They don't have. Maybe you can contribute. Um, and I'm just sure giving you something simple, but let me tell you something. As you give and as you contribute to where there's an actual need and you've helped fill and give blessing, you know what it does? If you will do it, and especially if you will do it with a, without a grudging heart, if you can begin to go into the world and say, one of the biggest needs I have, I actually have a need to meet somebody else who has a need. And I can fill that need. I have the ability. I have some talent and use my hands and use my energy or use my funds and can fill and contribute and genuinely bless their life. And when they're grateful for it, you know what it will do? It'll put joy into your heart. And the reason it puts joy into your heart is because you are made to be like God. Because this is what puts joy into his heart. He made us to be like him. The joy of giving and loving more than getting and taking. So I want to give you a story. Um, years ago, and I might have used this before, but a while, it's been a while, all right? Uh, years ago, I watched a documentary, and I can't remember quite the name of the documentary. I was like in my 20s, and um, it was on PBS, something like that. And it was talking about inner, in the inner city. And it must have been an inner city somewhere on the East Coast, and a lot of the poor people in this you know, inner city, they were black. And they began following the story of this, you know, he was this old white gentleman. I, I still can kind of vaguely remember this. He was bald, and he was pretty elderly. He's got to at least be in his 70s. And he, he, he hobbled, and he had a cane. And somewhere in his um, life, he had been retired for a number of years, and his body was declining. His health was declining. He was lonely and he was tired and he was miserable. It really stuck to me because I don't know if a number of you know this, but um, for those of you who've been pastor, you may know this. I grew up um, with the elderly because that's the small business my parents um, did. I grew up with the elderly and most of them are lonely and bored and quite frankly, kind of miserable. You know why? Because they have a nice roof over their head a lot of them would never have to worry about what they're going to eat. And someone's always going to take care of their medication. In other words, all day long, you know what they do? They receive. They don't work anymore. They don't contribute anymore. They don't give anymore. They don't have anybody who has need that they could love. And as over time, you know what, you, what starts to happen? Every day, they live in boredom, looking for something to do. All their hobbies... And their entertainment is like old and boring now. And even their favorite meals are not so tasty and wonderful anymore because all day long, really, they receive but do not give. But here, is this, here was this senior citizen, this elderly man. Somewhere in his retirement, he had been wasting away like a lot of elderly people that I grew up with. But then he found out in the inner city, there was this community center and he found out that there were all these boys that ran around the community center and they didn't have fathers. And some of them would get in trouble. And he found out that some of them would end up, you know, working for the drug dealer or end up in gangs. And someone had taught him that that's because nobody would ever take some time to contribute into their lives and doing something simple like helping them with their math homework or some of these kids couldn't even read. And so... He decided, you know what, I can do that. <laughs> and so he lived actually at a different portion of town because, you know, this neighborhood's like an all-black neighborhood. You don't usually see elderly white people living in a neighborhood like this. He decided to hobble to the bus, get on that bus, and about, it was a certain number of times a week, like three times a week, he'd go to this community center, and at the beginning, they weren't very receptive, <laughs> And he says, I will help any child who wants some help with school. But over time, as he showed, he kept showing up. And as he kept showing kindness, some of the kids started taking him up on it. And he began tutoring these boys and teaching them how to read. That's what he began doing three times a week. And then after doing this for about a year or two, you know what started happening? 
he started feeling better. <laughs> he said, I feel stronger. Food tastes better. I'm actually getting healthier. And I want to live a lot longer. And he goes, and I really, really regret that I didn't start doing this earlier. And as he said this into the camera, you could tell he really meant it. There was utterly no BS. And there was no pride. He said, I need these boys. And I'm really, really thankful for them. You and I, we're all like him. He's not some special person. You're not some special person. You know what he was finding out? He was finding out his humanity. He was finding out he was made in the image of God. He was made to contribute and to serve and to give. And it tapped into a deep God-given place, a God-image place that made him filled with joy and gladness and strength and power. Now, let me close my message. I want to give you a verse, and, um, and then I want to say a few things about that verse to help point you to Jesus. So this is the verse, and I, I'm not, and I didn't ask our, our brothers to, so just please just listen. Whenever I think about like money and greed, I think about this verse. Um, it's, it's the latter portion of 1 Timothy chapter 6. And Timothy was a man raised up by Paul to be a next generation pastor. And I often think of um, first and second Timothy as like the, it's like the true, it's, it's, it's Christian maturity. It's also about real manhood. What does real manhood look like? What does deep and profound maturity look like to be more filled, filled with Christ? And this is how the book begins to end in chapter six. So there's how it says. Verse, chapter six, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, I would say, you and I in Silicon Valley, we qualify. If you're middle class in Silicon Valley, you qualify, right? As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share the storing of treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Brothers and sisters, in your life, you're probably busy and ragged and tired and so much of our Silicon Valley life is busy and tired, making money to acquire, trying to get more security. Our kids are studying like crazy, doing all these different activities to get into some hotshot school so that they could make more money and acquire. It's like all of life is built on acquiring and acquisitiveness and taking and getting. But are you really, really happy? Do you really have a life of sustained joy? And maybe in the gospel, that maybe this, this call to give isn't just a duty, it's a gift. That one of the deep transformations of the gospel is not simply that we're forgiven, but that's tremendously important, but that's a pathway to that which is truly life. That's the way 1 Timothy 6.19 puts it. So I want to close this way. Jesus should cast us out for being thieves, takers, selfish consumers who constantly live inside the curvedness of our souls, trying to foolishly fill up the infinitely empty soul with stuff and achievements which are all about me. He came that on the cross that he could cast away, he could cast away our condemnedness, our lostness, our stupidity and our foolishness. And instead, not only that he could cast that away that he could forgive us, but that he could embrace us. And now he could richly be generous to you. He would give you more than money. He would give you more than stuff. He would give you your gifts and your talents so that you can contribute. He would give you opportunities so that you can learn joy and gladness and have great riches. He hasn't just forgiven you and accepted you, but he's given you a new identity, a new, st a new status. He's clothed you in righteousness and he's given you his spirit 
And in that spirit, you have the power to go off and contribute and make an important difference and find real joy. And he's given you access to, his fa- to the Father and the secret of a rich and beautiful life that you begin can taste divine, heavenly life here and now, filled with purpose and becoming most truly human. Brothers and sisters, please learn contentedness. And I want you to listen to this final promise. If you begin to give and you begin to contribute, would you think about giving to him? When Jesus says, if you give it to the least of these, you're giving to me. All those who contribute and give back to God, God will never forget it. You know, today we give and we contribute to people and they forget. Even if they are grateful today, they won't be grateful tomorrow. Many people are very, very thankless and they take it for granted. But if you give to the Lord, he will never forget. And what it says is that you are storing up treasure for yourselves that he will remember and there will be riches far better than money through what you give to him. And I want to close with this story. Um, I was thinking about this this week, about, I think it was two years ago, or maybe it was three years ago. Um, If you're new to our church, uh, you may not know this, but um, our church revived, we're a church plant, and we came out of a church, you know, out of which we were planted. Um, That church, for about, for many, many years, about a decade, we had a mission to the Native Americans out on, you know, the other side of the Sierra Nevada in a town called Bishop, Bishop Paiutes. We go out to his reservation to serve um, um, the, um, our friends, the Paiute and Shoshone Native Americans. And um, a couple years ago, we took, you know, we took a team out to this reservation, like, as, we like, as we love to do. And, um, you know, I, 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 every year we would ask people to sacrifice of their life. I would watch these teenagers show up. They would go through training. Um, they would often sleep on just either a mattress or sometimes the hard floor. And they would serve other people for a week in 100-degree weather. And they would show up the following year to do it again. And I used to think, why would they keep doing this? And I used to think, what do they get out of it? And this week, I began to think, this is what they get out of it. They get the joy of contributing. Now, about a couple years ago, our team, we didn't quite have as many, you know, we didn't quite have the same manpower as we had had in previous years. And we ran this picnic. We throw this picnic, and we just generously give this food to, like, anybody and everybody on the reservation. The first time we ran this picnic, we had to go up against, like, some carnival that the, their local, uh, the reservation's uh, casino ran, and we thought, oh, we're going to lose. I guess we're not going to get a lot of people, and, um, but that was wrong. We had an h- incredible turnout, and we got a chance to bless our Native American friends, many of them we, we had never even met and seen before, but they had somehow heard about us. Um, and about two years ago, we were running this picnic, and um, it, was, it was an incredibly hot day. <laughs> Uh, we were running it out in front of this church that's one of our missional partners, and they were going to have a worship service that night, and we wanted, we wanted to run the picnic out in front of the church so that we could invite people to go to their service, this special worship, you know, this revival service at this church. And um, so there, there was, you have to grill, I don't know, you have to grill a lot of hamburgers and hot dogs for tons of people who are going to show up. And it was about a 103-degree day. And I don't know if you've ever done this before, um, yesterday I was grilling hamburgers and hot dogs for my mom. Oh, no, it, was, it wasn't hamburger. It was chicken for my mother to take over for Mother's Day. And it was a really, it was a perfect 80 degree day. But standing in front of a grill, I mean, I was getting really miserable. And I began thinking about that day that was a 103 degree day. And there was this, there's this, some young, young men from the reservation that are friends. Some of them are Christians. And they formed this little club one of the brothers who really knows the Lord and loves the Lord and loves what we do, that, little, uh, that group is called the B-Town Boys, and it's led by a, a beautiful brother named Steve McDowell. And he, he had gathered the B-Town Boys together and said, hey, our friends from San Jose here, they want to they bless our whole reservation for Jesus. Let's help them. They showed up at the picnic, 
And a number of the brothers volunteer to grill. And then over time, you know, they're just, they're just sweating like crazy because it's a, it's a 103 degree day. And, but it's not 103 degree behind the grill. I mean, I don't even know how hot. I mean, it was probably literally physically dangerous behind that grill. And our guys would go up to them, the guys who were normally supposed to do the, the to, to grill that day, would go up to them and said, uh, um, do you want me to take over for you? And you know, every time our guys would go up to them and say, do you want me to take over? You know what they said? They said, nah, I'm good. I'm good. And I look at their faces because one, I was worried that they might have heat stroke. But you know what I saw? Joy. Incredible joy. They had the deepest joy doing this really hard thing because they were contributing to their neighbors on the reservation in a way that they normally don't ever get to do. Two, they're contributing to the church. And three, they were giving to Jesus. It was offered Jesus. And these brothers had a really great day, sweating bullets for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we all need to be B-Town boys. We all need to be like that beautiful, elderly, bald, white man who went into an all-black inner-city community and would really love these boys while he taught them to read and do arithmetic. And there are so many needs of course, we cannot fill all of them, but we can fill one. We can fill one need. We can fill one. And we can have joy, especially if we give it to you. I pray that my brothers and sisters here listen to this message, to truly believe this verse, that on this earth, the good things that we do, they die because nothing good ever on this sinful, wicked place filled without salvation, it really lasts. But you, through the gospel, you took all our wickedness and all our stealing and robbing and taking and you had it die on the cross with you, Lord Jesus. So that all our giving and especially all our giving to you would never die and there'd be an eternal reward, a reward of tremendous love and of honor and of deep joy. I pray that my brothers and sisters would learn that joy. We would all learn that joy and offer to our neighbors here in this city, especially in this hard, hurting time of the shelter-in-place lockdown during the virus. And I pray as we come out of this season, you would make revive a tremendously joyful, contented, glad, giving, contributing family, your family, your sons, your daughters, fully human, more and more divine, like Jesus. His name we pray. Amen.